Before I start the show, I want to talk about StarStock. The site has now launched in beta, and you can deposit, purchase cards, view your collection, and flip those cards in the marketplace with more being built. StarStock is building a sports card marketplace aimed to be faster and cheaper for flipping sports cards than any other platform. They're currently looking for people who want to submit their cards to sell on the platform. Here's what they're offering. A 5% commission, no ingestion fees, you send in your cards and they do all the work. The cards are guaranteed and secured in a vault, and you can choose to ship your cards back at any time. You can buy, flip, or store cards with a click of a button. If you're interested in getting involved as a seller, contact Mike at Mike at Starstock.com. Starstock is only looking for rookie cards and prospects of current players. For more details, contact Mike at Starstock.com. And let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. If we go all the way back to episode two, I talked about Sportlots, one of my three foundational sites that I sell on, Sportlots, eBay, and ComC, and I covered why I like Sportlots, how it fits into my overall strategy, but I realized it, was, it wasn't until a couple weeks ago that I actually had a chance to talk with Max Steiner, the owner of Sportlots.com. And so once we had a chance to talk, we decided that, may, hey, maybe it'd be a good idea to come on the show and do an interview. And so that's what I've got for you today. I sat down with Max and talked a little bit about his collecting background, the background of the site, what he learned as he built that as a side hustle, and where the site is going. So I hope you enjoy the conversation about growing a business in the sports card world. We'll get into that interview after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles. They are a shop based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, but they're available to you anywhere in the world through their website, udogcollect.com. You can use the code WAXPACKHERO to receive $5 off your first break of $20 or more, and that is valid one per customer through May 31st. They break a variety of products uh, as well as sell some singles. This week, they're going to be breaking Bowman select and tribute baseball as well as a variety of other basketball products check them out at udogcollect.com search for underdog on facebook or twitter today i want to welcome max steiner to the line max is the owner of sportlots.com and we're going to chat a little bit about his background the background of the site and where it might be headed in the coming months and years so welcome to the show max Hi, Mike. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me on. Maybe we can just get started by you telling us just a little bit about how and when you got into collecting cards. Sure. Um, again, being from Green Bay all my life, uh, have to be a football fan. So I collected only football cards, and I collected from '73. Uh, I do have I do have, I do have cards older than that, but I don't remember. I might have traded for them or or bought them, but um, really the first memory of collecting and buying packs of cards was in 73. And I went pretty solid until 77. And then for some reason in 1980, I, I, I bought a bunch more. 
So 78 and 79, for some reason, I took a hiatus, but um, collected again in 80. And that was the last time I collected. I I was unfortunate enough to stop collecting the year before Montana's rookie. So, so wow. that's too bad. Um, I had to settle for a Phil Sims rookie instead of a Joe Montana rookie. Um, but at least I had the patents. So um, uh, at least at least I got a few few patent cards and out of that. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed my time collecting as a kid. Okay. And so then that was, you said, 1980s about when you stopped. Sportlots started, you know, quite a bit later than that. So where did the idea for Sportlots come from? Well, when I was out of, out of college a couple of years, I was in a duplex, and this was in 1989. And I was driving home um, from work, and I happened to glance over at a, a new shop that opened up, and it was a, a trading card shop. I'm like, what? <laughs> so so I, I, I went home, and I dug out my shoeboxes full of cards, Kind of looked through them over, hasn't looked at them in years, you know, looking at them. And I, I went to the the um, the shop, it was literally a block away, and looking at all the cards. And, and I, I purchased a price guide. And it wasn't it wasn't like today's Beckett price guide. It was uh, just a bunch of pieces of paper stapled together sort of thing. And I'm going through, looking through them, and I thought, you know... I was I was already a flipper, I guess, because I was looking through this. What would what are cards that would really be worth money down the road at some point? And I'm looking through the obviously just the football, and I'm picking out. You know, this is '89, so Jerry Rice was just still up and coming, three years into the league. Yep. Lawrence Taylor, Joe Montana, and I'm looking at the prices and the price guide and thinking maybe I could buy a bunch of these for a future investment sort of thing. And, you know, the Montana was way too expensive at the time. It was like, you know, 12 bucks. (laughs) Um, uh, And Lawrence Taylor and Jerry Rice. Well, the Jerry Rice's were $3. And I thought, man, I should go back to that card shop and buy a bunch of Jerry Rice rookie cards. That seems like a good investment because that guy's going to be a star. So I went back to the, 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 um, the, the card shop and the guy had a stack of Jerry Rice rookie cards, but he wanted five bucks a piece for them. And I'm like, what a ripoff. I'm not paying five bucks a piece for these things. <laughs> so, That's funny. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I start, started getting back into it at that point. And, um, you know, in the early 90s, I thought, hey, I'm going to write. This is pre-internet. So you had no concept of, you know, what, what, what was possible. But I started writing my own inventory management um, program. And I thought maybe at some point, if, if it was, you know, a really good success. I could, um, you know, maybe market and sell it, you know, as a standalone PC application sort of thing. Um, you know, and obviously that never took off and probably a good thing because no one would need that today in today's world. (laughs) Um, but a lot of the checklists that I have of the older cards were built during that time from, you know, from the, you know, the, the mid nineties back, is still the data that we use today on sport lots for checklists for those older sets. Um, and then, you know, I started in the later nineties and, and again, really kind of pre internet, you know, I w- we were using things like AOL and CompuServe and sure. things like that at the time. Um, and I was running auctions on, you know, forum CompuServe forums and stuff like that. 
And that was really the beginning of sport lots was where it was actually, you know, kind of a e-commerce type of a, a situation. But it wasn't until the real early 2000s when we started having the concept of, you know, a, a formal website getting into the, the, the fixed price stores kind of concept. And then it just grew from there. Did you have experience building websites? It sounds like you had somewhat of an IT background, but did you have experience building websites when you decided to launch it? Or was that kind of a new learning experience as well? Yes, that was. So, yeah, I have an IT background, a computer science um, degree. Uh, but that was back in, you know, I graduated in 86, 87. Uh, so, you know, obviously the coding languages back then uh, were are not at all suited for web design. Sure. So, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I started picking up, you know, HTML and um, CSS and not even CSS at that time, at that point. And I um, and, and also, you know, server side coding started picking up some of that. And that's kind of, you know, that's what the late 90s were for. It wasn't until the early 2000s where I actually put it all together and started, you know, hosting a website and and stuff like that. So I learned a lot of that, you know, obviously your basic core IT knowledge and logic and coding helps, um, it helps a lot. Um, but to learn all the new languages and all the new, you know, techniques for coding on a website, I had to pretty pick up on my own. So I'm always fascinated by people who have a day job, but also still build a business as a side hustle. One of the questions that I get a lot you know, from my own buying and selling and, and the website and podcast and everything is where do you find time to do this with a family and everything like that? How do you find time? And so I was just curious as you were getting sport lots off the ground, how did you prioritize your time between your job and family and sport lots? Did you find that to be a challenge? Yes, it was, um, you know, and, and, you know, never dreamed it would even early on, you know, in the you know, 2001, 2005, 2006 era, you know, really didn't dream this would be nearly as large as it ended up becoming, you know, I thought it was kind of a more of a hobby, kind of a fun thing to do, you know, but, but then it started taking off and building and building, you know, it took a real slow approach. I didn't, you know, I didn't go out and get a financial investment and a loan and hire developers and, you know, all that sort of stuff to do the work. I tinkered with it, you know, all through the, you know, early to mid 2000s, you know, a few hours a day here and there, weekends, um, you know, but I had a full-time job, a really good full-time job being, you know, an IT and even later IT manager. Um, so it's tough to give that up and, and take that kind of a risk, you know, with a family to support. Yeah, I bet. Uh, so, so it was really slow in development. Uh, taking your time. It, um, it was funny. I came across, you know, there's a uh, a website called I forgot what it was called now, but it kind of keeps screenshots of history of of websites. Mm -hmm. I forget I forget what the name of that is, but but I was looking at the old versions of Sport Lots, and it's just hilarious uh, going back and looking at some of those. <laughs> but uh, you know, so so it was just a real slow plug, and really until February of this year is when I. I hate to say retired, you know, because I'm not that old, but um, but quit my day job, so to speak, and really since February been focusing in 
on sport lots full time. So prior to all that, it was just a few hours, you know, during the week at night and, you know, more time on the weekends, but you still, like you said, had family and things to do and places to go and, you know, um, with, with the family. Um, so, you know, more on the weekends, but during the weekdays, you know, two three hours a night, if that. And that was mainly just, you know, keeping up on customer service, you know, replying to messages, right. all that sort of stuff. So it was really hard to find, um, if you know anything about coding, you can't just, hey, I'm going to sit down for 15 minutes and start coding. It really takes um, a dedication of two, three, four hours to really kind of get back into the swing of things, you know, start your development or start your analysis or whatever. It, it's really hard to do that in, you know, 15 half hour chunks. Um, so so it was tough to really get enhancements done um, and finding the time to do that. I really, a lot of times, took vacations uh, from my real job, and that's when I really powered through and take a week off and just, you know, hammer down on some big enhancements. You talked about that it was almost kind of a hobby in the, the early days of it, that you were just kind of, I think you said, tinkering and, and tweaking things and and learning along the way. Was there a particular moment that you can remember where where you said, you know, there might be something to this. This might have some legs. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was a time, I would say around that 2005 to 2008 period, where every year um, the sales on the site were doubling. And you started going, wow, if this continues to double, it's not going to be long and this is going to be something significant, something that I can, you know, um, not just have as a hobby, but as a side a side job or an income, or maybe if it continues to double long enough, I could quit my day job. Well, unfortunately, that didn't continue to double. <laughs> it, right. it, did, it did for a few years. Um, it, too bad it wouldn't have doubled a few more years after that. But, um, it, it, you know, it, it slowed down. You can't keep up that kind of pace. But when it started doing that, I thought, Man, alive! This this is kind of cool, um, and um, and that kind of focuses you even more. You know, when you start seeing that possibility, it focuses you on. It says maybe this is a little bit more than just a hobby, and uh, you you dedicate a little bit more time to it. Um, and it's fun. You know, I I I love the card collecting business. Um, I love you know as a, as a hobby, I loved it as a kid, and I still collect today. I collect different things um, um, here and there. Um, and I love coding. So it was a great match, um, the, the two things together. As you were growing, um, what, what was something that, that you tried or that you were experimenting with that maybe didn't go according to plan that, that gave you kind of a lesson learned and required you to adapt a little bit? Oh, a couple things. I, I would say the biggest part was understanding the profit margins involved in being a marketplace. The, the pro, you really have to do volume to run a marketplace because your profit margins are so, so slim. It's not like the the seller side where, hey, I can buy a flat rate box of commons and get them for a penny and turn them around for 18 cents. Um, you know, now granted, your support lots take some of those fees, but the large majority of that is profit for this for the seller. Now, they're not going to sell them all, but we're taking a little sliver of that. You know, especially if you're a larger seller, we're taking a a, a little sliver of that. So we need support lots needs high volume. So what I found out was um, 
the formal sense of advertising, you know, where you're buying Google ads and stuff like that, um, just was not able to get the return to make it worthwhile because the profit margins are so thin. So, thin. so you know, a lot of people ask why I don't, why is not a lot of advertising for the site? And that's the main reason. We still do advertising. We, at one point, we're, we're, we're spending $10,000, $12,000 a month on advertising on Google and Bing ads. Um, we've really cut that back and really focused on, instead, uh, search engine optimization. They call it SEO. And trying mm-hmm. to get that free advertising that, um, you know, just getting high up on the, on, the, on, the, on the list when people do searches. And really focusing on that. And there's a lot I have to do further uh, with that to continue to improve in that area. You know, you talked about when you look back at, at some of the archived um, images or, or design or, or the way the site was was running back in, when it started and how different that is from today. What were some of the, the innovations that you feel like really helped the site grow or, or maybe take that next step along the way? Well, it, it's really incremental. Um, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes foundational things, um, you know, for example, when I first started, I was running on a Access, Microsoft Access database. Well, you can't, you know, you can't run anything with any kind of significant size um, on, on a Microsoft Access database. You can only have three or four users at a time and it, it'll just start crapping out. Um, but, you know, so so transitioning to SQL Server, and, and kind of, you know, the technology-wise, uh, getting my own dedicated server instead of sharing with other people. So it's really the foundational things that 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 I did that really helped enhance performance. And then just learning from other sites, learning more about um, the technologies and the options that are out there um, over time uh, is really, you know, what, what you talked about as far as increment, as far as advancements, is really learning from other people and, and seeing other sites go, hey, I could incorporate that into into sport lots. Now, you know, there's a lot of things, a ton of things, and maybe we'll get into that, some of the enhancements that we're gonna, that we wanna do, um, that I'd love to be able to snap a finger. Um, it's just, it, it takes time to get there. And, you know, now with me quitting my daytime job, hopefully we can start advancing some of those. So one of the things that I know over the last couple of years that was an enhancement was the whole box um, concept. You know, one of the things that people talk about or one of the things that people have to watch out for as a buyer is the shipping costs can add up pretty quick if you're buying from a lot of different sellers. And the boxes is something that you implemented that kind of provides an opportunity to help address some of that. did you did you see good results that came from that? Did, was was there both either anecdotally from feedback or as well as the data behind that? Did that help um, increase sales or bring in new customers? Yeah. So believe it or not, um, that went in almost exactly two years ago. In a couple more weeks, it'll be two years that box shipping has been in place already, which is hard for me to believe. It's been that it's been two years already. Uh, so, yeah, so one of the complaints or one of the issues that I've heard, you know, looking on forums or feedback from people was, you know, how expensive the, sh- the shipping can be, especially when you want to buy from a lot of different sellers. So I needed to find a way to attack attack that um, and make that more affordable because, you know, we're dealing with, you know, lower end cards um, for the most part on the site. 
Um, and so shipping is a big deal. So, you know, I, I started thinking through what are some options, what are some ways we can get that to a, to better, you know, give that opportunity to get lower shipping costs. And that's kind of where I came up with the idea of box shipping. Um, it's interesting to see how it's evolved over the two years. You know, there was a big learning curve, especially the first few months uh, for people to understand how it was, how, to, how it worked, how to take advantage of it. You know, and there's still some of that with new people coming on. They're, you know, they're not um, understanding it. And, you know, unfortunately that, um, that can cost some extra shipping costs when they didn't realize they need to pay for a second shipping. Sure. Um, so, you know, try to do as best you can to educate them on the site. Um, but some people are just going to see that lower shipping cost and go, hey, great, and click it and, you know, not really understand what they're getting into. But if it's used correctly under the right situations, um, it can really be a big uh, savings in shipping. So what I – oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so that, you know, you, you brought up a question there. Some people may not really understand the whole concept of this, the second or final shipping charge to have the, the item shipped from their box to themselves. Um, it, are you looking to make that a little more straightforward for people? I would love to. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done a lot of that. You know, I give people when they click on the box radio button a warning message uh, the first time they click on the box shipping, there's warning messages on the shopping cart and there's warning messages on the pending payment um, screen. There's videos out there um, on the site. Um, you know, when I first went out, I did a, I did a few Twitter um, um, posts uh, to help to try to advance that education. So I've done what I could. And if, you know, if other people want to comment um, or, or give me feedback on how that can be more readily um, available for people ahead of time um i would definitely want to definitely listen to any ideas people have because you know I, the the concept here is not to make a bunch of money on and cost people more shipping the idea here is to cut down on the shipping so any education any ideas that people have um to further that education i would love to hear some other ideas what can customers maybe um customers and sellers both expect to see in the coming months yeah, so, uh, and I wouldn't say the coming months, um, it, you know, there's a long list of things. I kind of jotted down prior to to, um, to starting here to kind of jotted down some of the enhancements that, that some of the ideas, some of these are not necessarily in, the, in, in order, and some of them will take longer than others. But um, coming up in the next, uh, I'm hoping before the end of this month, has to do with box shipping again. Some, again, some things that I've heard from people I want to make better is, a box shipping cost estimator. So once you've built your order, you can play with the budget and box shipping rates and see where the, the prime weight, you know, factor in, try to time it where making sure I'm saving money on shipping and not costing myself on shipping because today you don't know what that shipping cost is going to be, that second shipping cost. And the reason for that is because I don't know how much the, how much those packages are going to weigh from the sellers ahead of time? So what that's that new shipping calculator is going to do is look historically at how much a seller weight is for a, num a number of cards and try to find historically, you know, uh, oh Mike when he ships me 15 cards that weighs, you know, four ounces. Sure. Um, so and and typically as a seller you ship the same way each time. 
whereas another seller might ship totally different, and that 15 cards might weigh 12 ounces because they put them all in thick plastic or something, or you know. So, depending on how the person, the seller ships, really, really dictates the weight that that package is going to come back at. But sellers typically ship the same time and time again, so you can historically pretty accurately judge, uh, looking back at prior prior orders, how much is going to weigh ahead of time. So it's still just an estimate, and that what scares me a little bit about this enhancement is I'm going to give them an estimated cost. What ends up being reality might be different, but at least it's an educated estimate. Um, and the other thing that's coming in the next couple of weeks is for Canadian customers. Um, so stamps.com came up with a new program with the Canadian Customs for flat rate prepaid duty and taxes. So if you're a Canadian customer and you have got a box package, um, you can choose to add another $6.95 to the cost of shipping and we will pay those prepaid duty fees and only have to pay $6.95. So if you have a $200 order and you've got to pay, um, you know, I, I don't know, even know what it is. I think it varies by province, a 13, 15% of 200 in duty and taxes, you can save quite a bit by selecting that 695 prepay cost. And I will pay those fees for you up front. And then when you, when your package comes to be, you, they're not going to collect duty and taxes from you. So I think that's a huge benefit for Canadian customers who are ordering, you know, between, you know, 100 and $400 worth of cards um, to take advantage of that. There, there are limitations. It has to be first class and it's got to be under $400 in, in value. Otherwise you can't use that 695 flat fee um, option. But I think that's a good option for Canadian customers. Another thing I've heard is from Canadian customers is like, I can't order anything of any size because I get killed on the duty and taxes. So when I saw that from stamps.com, I wanted to take advantage of that for them. One of the other things that you implemented not too long ago was international shipping to a few other worldwide locations. Yep. I was just curious on how well that's gone over, if you've seen um, some international growth that's come from that option. Some. Um, it hasn't been um, overwhelming, but we've seen some. Um, I, I think enough to keep it going, and I, I hopefully that builds. Um, I'm limited on, on countries that allow first-class um, international tracking. I don't want to ship um, package to Iran, you know, right. or, uh, uh, and, 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 and then never have it be tracked. You know, there's, there's, I think there's only a handful of 15, 20 countries that are available for that. And I get a lot of requests from um, countries that aren't on the list. And unfortunately, I, you know, to ship priority mail for tracking, to some of these countries would just be way too cost prohibitive. Um, so I'm limiting it to just countries that allow that that first class international tracking. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's been a success. It hasn't been huge, but I think it's an opportunity to, for some people that are outside of the US and Canada to um, purchase cards. I know outside of the US and Canada, it's real limited. I hear a lot of people saying they really don't have a whole lot of options. So it's nice to be able to offer that. We've talked about how the site has continued to grow. I was just curious, can you give me a feel or do you have, you know, maybe at hand or willing to share how how many, roughly how many active um, users are there on the site right now? 
Yeah, so you know, I looked at registered users on the site, and it's a you know we get right around fifty thousand registered users, but you know that's since two thousand and one, and there's a lot of people that register multiple times, um, so that's not a very realistic um, uh, look. So I kind of you know looked at you know over the course of about a year, last year or so, and we're looking at a, you know around ten thousand users on the site, um, registered users that are. Um, ordering and purchasing cards, and a little over a thousand sellers on the site. So, as as one of those sellers, I'm always interested on new buyers to the site and attracting new buyers to the site. And through some of my social media, uh, I get questions from time to time because people know that I'm I'm a seller on the site, and they ask me questions about the site and some of the trip tricks or tips that make the buying process easier. I was curious on. If you had any advice for uh, a new buyer, you know things that they can do on the site to to make their their buying experience uh, more enjoyable or easier or, or you know whatever you might say. Well, again, it, it, and a lot depends on whether you are looking to use box shipping or not. Um, but it really is to come in with a game plan ahead of time. Uh, you know, um, do use the search f- features. Look at the filters on the right side of the search results um, and do the filtering that you want to do. One thing that I've, I've heard is trying to limit how many sellers I'm buying from. And one thing yeah. that we do is have you, as you add items in your shopping cart and do few, uh, additional searches, on the right is a filter to search by seller. And any sellers that have items in your shopping cart or you have items in in the shopping cart from those sellers, those sellers are highlighted in that filter result. So you can then, if you want to filter out all of the the busyness on, you know, cause you can get a lot of results back if, if you do searches with 75 million cards out there. Um, yep. um, in order to help yourself uh, weed out all that noise and you want to limit um, how many bu- sellers you're purchasing from, go ahead and take advantage of that filter option. Uh, and click on the ones that are highlighted and hit that filter and reduce down uh, the number of cards you want to see. I think you had mentioned that you you don't really care about condition. You're not too concerned with condition. Well, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to keep your prices down, you know, just select off the excellent VG and good ones and just get the lower condition ones. Or if you're real picky about condition and you really want a pristine cards, just click on the near mint and filter. So again, reducing that noise as much as possible because you can be overwhelmed sometimes with your searches um, with the amount of data that comes back. So I would say take advantage of those filter options. And one of the one of the new enhancements on the list that we didn't get a chance to go through the whole list, but it is really improving that search results, adding more filter options um, to, to help people reduce all that noise. Yeah, that, that would be great. I think we covered some some really great stuff. I really enjoyed hearing about some of the early days of the site and kind of what led you to to develop the site. Um, it, it's a, a site that I highly recommend checking out. I use it um, all the time as both a, a buyer and a seller. And so I'm glad we got a chance to to chat and talk through some of that. You know, it's it's one of those things that I didn't know much about the background of the site. And so I really appreciate you coming onto the show and uh, sharing some of that today. Sure, it was fun. Anything else before we go that you want to make sure that the listeners know about Sport Lots? 
Well, again, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of things. I want to reassure people some of the things, you know, we, I hear a lot of things about non-sports cards that is coming. I, I, I want to uh, redo the search results. We talked about adding more filter options, improving how you add cards to the cart. So while some of your listeners know non-sports is coming, um, I, I need a few other enhancements that are higher priority that I need to really put in before I put that in. And I've also heard a lot of uh, people asking about want lists. I think that's a kind of a cool concept where people can, you know, see a card and maybe click on a little icon and it automatically adds it to their want list. And when people add, when dealers add um, cards, they'll be notified when their want lists are, are hit. It also allows sellers to look at what's out on want, people's want lists. Not that they'll know the buyer who wants it, but at least they can say, hey, look, if there's someone who wants uh, this card and I have it, I can prioritize and get that loaded ahead of time for them. Um, so that's another feature that is coming. I think maybe something that you might like or sellers might like is vacation mode improvements, where um, today if you go on vacation, anyone that's got items in your shopping cart, um, they get deleted. So you go on vacation, there's 500 cards in people's shopping carts, they're all gone. So we want to improve that to, to say, I'm going to be on vacation for the next two weeks. And if it's in their shopping cart, it's then grayed out, but at least could stay in your shopping cart until you come back. Um, so that's a, an improvement we want to do. Um, and, you know, a few other things, improving the make an offer process. I think that was, you know, haphazardly put together quickly years ago, and I, I really need to make improvements to that. So just want to give them what's kind of coming up. And again, those weren't in any kind of priority order um, and, and, and no commitment as far as when we'll get them done. Some of them are much bigger issues than others, but um, just want to make sure people know those are on the horizon. Yeah, those sound like some pretty good enhancements that would make make life easier for both buyers and sellers. So that's great. Well, thanks again for coming on, Max. I really appreciate it. Sure. And thank you for having me. Thanks again to Max for coming on. I was real excited, especially about some of the stuff that we talked about at the very end, including non-sports being added at some point in the near future. I know there's Star Wars cards, there's Garbage Pail Kids, there's some of the other Marvel sets and things like that that people would be interested in having out there. So I'm looking forward to that. It'll just open up the site to that many more potential customers. Well, let me know what you think. Let me know if you're using Sport Lots, if you like it, if you've listened to some of the guidance or suggestions that I've given about both buying and selling on Sport Lots. I'd love to hear the feedback. Send me an email at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter and send me a message there at the Mike Summer. And please leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I'd really appreciate it. Check out the Hobby Hotline at Hobby Hotline on Twitter. It's a live call-in show that we do every Saturday morning. We have special guests on from time to time. This Saturday, we are going to be talking with Dr. Beckett, and he's going to be making a return appearance on the show. Well, that's all I've got for you today. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>